This is the Lotox Life Podcast. If all the birds could fly right now, as high as me somehow, they could see all the things I've been dreaming of. These wings of mine flutter inside, they shimmy and they glide, breaking forth, crack the shell from this clockwork light. Hello and welcome to the Lotox Life Podcast. I'm Alex Stewart, your host, and today is show 178. I have done a bit of an emergency reprogramming for us all, and no, it's not what you expect. I'm not going to be talking about COVID-19 and whether or not you should be in full lockdown or argue with what anybody is saying out there, I have chosen to stay well away from all of that. When I think about what our community needs right now and having talked with people in the Lotox Club, which you can join anytime for the price of a coffee a month over in Patreon or um, in our general social media channels, people want practical advice and they want to cultivate a a sense of wellness in their minds. You know, how do we stay positive? Where are the silver linings? How can we stay strong during this, both health and um, mental health wise? And so that is where we are going to be focused. You might have seen in the newsletter if you receive our newsletter. And if you don't, I've popped a little subscribe link in the show notes today for you um, because, you know, social media just doesn't show us everything anymore. And just because you like a page or follow someone on Instagram does not, unfortunately, mean you're going to see everything they create. So you have that subscribe um, link in the show notes, which is at lotoxlife.com forward slash podcast. And then you just click on today's show with Bruce Lipton. Uh, And uh, I I would urge you to do that because then it lands in your inbox and you see all of the new blog posts we're going to be creating for you over the next little while. Who knows how long we're going to be focused on super practical tips, advice, and uplifting content to cultivate calm and peace during what are very strange times. You know, no one has given us a rule rule book on how to, how to cope right now. And I want us to do more than cope. I want us to explore uh, all sorts of things that are going to help us thrive, um, not only during this time or beyond. And it reminds me of actually the um, a post I did on my personal Instagram, uh, which you can join me on. It's underscore Alex Stewart. Uh, the other day reflecting on something that Charles Eisenstein had said on the show that we recorded a couple of weeks ago together. And uh, I asked him about, because I was very curious about why so many women especially feel incredibly guilty asking for help for free from friends and family. You know, oh, you know, my mum guilted me out for babysitting an extra week, day this week, or my, you know, we feel guilty or we feel ashamed. We dream up these things that other people are feeling about doing for us, I think, often. And there's a lot of guilt and shame around asking for help. Um, new, new mums in Western culture are a prime example. We drive ourselves into the ground alone often uh, before 
considering asking someone to just come and fold some laundry for us or hold the baby while we take a nap that we just so desperately need or drop over a couple of meals because we're drowning that day. You know, why, why can't we do that? So Charles talks about, uh, and this is why it's still uh, a lot more prevalent in country community than it is in urban community, the gift economy, the sense that everybody just kind of does things for each other all the time. So you're always owing and you're always owed and asking or offering never seems weird or indulgent or unworthy. And, uh, and we've moved from that into a pay for economy. And if you think about it, I've been thinking about it a lot the last couple of weeks since we talked about it on the show. If I've paid someone to say, um, provide me a service, I'm going to be far more inclined to ensure that that's done right, or it's done the way I wanted, I'm going to be more demanding of the fact that that delivered on what I asked for. Um, And I'm super nice and always really grateful. I'm not saying that, you know, paying for something means you have all the rights and the other person doesn't. Absolutely not. But I'm just kind of breaking down some of the things that have been going through my mind as we we seem to be called to a gift economy again during times like this when – You know, sometimes the guy across the hall from you in the apartment block isn't going to have pasta and they're desperately going to need some food or, uh, you know, downstairs they need some fresh produce and you've got tons and maybe they've got something else that you need. We're all going to have to reach out to each other during this time. And uh, and just to come back to what I was saying, when you've paid for something, often you want it to be perfect or done properly. But when you've gifted someone or you've been given um, something, whether it's, you know, having your kid over instead of paying for a babysitter or whether it's um, a friend coming to help you tidy up the house, you tend to feel more like done is better than perfect. And I have been educating in the lifestyle space for a decade now. And I advocate for done is better than perfect all the time. You guys would have heard me in any course you've ever taken of ours on any social media chats that we've had where someone's feeling down about something they didn't do uh, so-called perfectly. And I am the first person to jump in and say, hey, it's not about what you do that one time that wasn't perfect, but what all the great things you do most of the time. You know, got to let stuff slide, got to go with the flow. It's not always going to be perfect. In fact, it's never going to be perfect. And it made me think, wow, the gift economy is therefore better for mental health because we have less expectation. We just, you know, if it's done, thank you so much. Thanks for helping. You don't care that like the tiniest bit of dust was missed in the corner. Um, whereas if you paid someone to do it, you'll see the dust. And you're like, Why did they miss that? And I think it speaks to something we need to heal within ourselves around expectation, paying for, demand, uh, and, uh, and rediscover the joy of the gift. Who can you gift something to today? How can you be of service with absolutely no expectation of anything in return? And it's an incredibly healing space to enter. Uh, and I would be very, very interested in what you think and how you're doing that in your way in, from your corner right now. There's people all around the world. And the thing about COVID-19 is this isn't like uh, a natural disaster that affects one small part of the world. This is something where we are all in this together 
And I find that the silver lining in that is that for the first time, uh, the 82 countries that regularly listen to this show are all experiencing the same emotions, the same hopes that their family is going to be okay, the same hopes that we're going to have enough food to get through this, the same desire to make sure our elderly and doctors and nurses and teachers and people at the front lines are going to be safe and we're going to be able to minimize overwhelm in the healthcare systems. It's really quite uh, uniting uh, and where globalization has sometimes failed and a lot of people still try to dig their heels in with their leadership, you know, keeping us separate and my country is better than your country or this race is better than that race. We still see that stuff today. It's crazy. My religion's better than your religion. Having a religion's better than not having one. Everyone can be spiritual. Everyone can be kind. Everyone can be compassionate. It doesn't require any particular country, race or religion to do any of those things. And everything in our universe is calling us for all to be those things right now uh, to get us through this thriving rather than uh, falling apart. These are just the thoughts I'm having right now. So I have put a break in our health mini-series. Those of you who are new to the show might not know this, but this year we've grouped different areas of the low-tox life into sort of um, topics where we concentrate on something for four or five weeks at a time, whether it's environmental toxins, women's health topics, uh, um, people doing amazing things for the planet, uh, food, And we were halfway through, we have done a fantastic show on uh, digestive health and colonics and all that kind of stuff a couple of weeks ago. Uh, Then last week, we had an amazing part two on the skin with uh, Asha Everts, a naturopath and a clinical beauty therapist. Um, And I was looking at what's scheduled and we've got a great show on fertility coming up, a really good one on metabolism. But energetically, it just feels like the world can wait for those couple of shows to finish off our health series in a few weeks because mental health and cultivating peace in our mind, trust in a beautiful future uh, and developing some practical skills around mental health as we usher many family and friends through some exceptionally difficult times, whether that's economically, whether someone's business is just about to fall apart, I mean, as a small business owner, um, as someone who also has friends who are in hospitality and small business, someone who has friends who are creatives in the art space, friends who work in sports events, friends who uh, provide services that just aren't essential right now, there is a lot of struggle and we're really going to need to have an incredible amount of trust that we will Uh, thrive through this and that this is an incredible opportunity for us to assess how we've lived uh, as society up until this point, what we can do in the rebuilding that is ahead to build better. You know, we've all had those experiences in our personal lives, a health crisis, a big breakup, um, a trauma of some kind where it just digs us right down to our darkest, emptiest, I got nothing space and 
the beauty of that space is that you get to build up all your pieces again with love and support around you, which I encourage anyone who feels like they need. This is a very critical time to feel comfortable reaching out for that love and support, uh, especially with so many of us isolated in our homes right now. Um, and, and I just feel like for all of those reasons, we need the mind mini series that we have fully recorded and ready to go. That's the good news because we plan in advance to be now that needs to happen now. And for the next five weeks, I have five of the most beautiful, inspiring, calming and practical, uh, interviews. Everyone's bringing their own flavor to this mind slash mental health uh, topic. We're bringing it forward. Five wonderful interviews. And I couldn't think of a better person to kick us off than Bruce Lipton. And uh, boy, is it exciting when someone of the, uh, how can I describe Bruce Lipton? Uh, Someone of his esteemed, evolved nature says yes to joining me on the Low Tox Life podcast. And of course, I mean, everyone is my favorite show. You guys know that. I'm always like, oh, you're going to, you're just not going to believe how good this conversation is. Um, but Bruce is, is just magic. And, uh, he, he hates, you know, people in, introducing him as Dr. Bruce Lipton, Bruce Lipton, PhD, but he is an internationally recognized leader in bridging science and spirit. He's a stem cell biologist. He's a best-selling author of a book called The Biology of Belief. If you haven't read that, please do. It's the perfect book for right now. Uh, the recipient of the 2009 Goy Peace Award. He has guest spoken on hundreds of TV and radio shows. He's a lecturer at university. Uh, and he began his scientific career as a cell biologist. That's what he has his PhD in at the University of Virginia at Charlottesville um, before joining the Department of Anatomy at the University of Wisconsin in 1973. So Bruce has been at this a little while now um, and he's done research on muscular dystrophy, studies employing cloning of human stem cells, focused upon the molecular mechanism controlling cell behavior an experimental tissue transplantation technique de- developed by Bruce uh, and a colleague, Dr. Ed Schultz, and published in the Journal of Science, was subsequently employed as a novel form of human genetic engineering where needed. Um, 1982 was when Bruce began examining the principles of quantum physics and how they might be integrated into his understanding of the cell's information processing systems. He has produced breakthrough studies on the cell membrane, which revealed that this, get this, this outer layer of the cell was an organic homologue of a computer chip, the cell's equivalent of a brain. I mean, I could go on and on, but I, I feel that anyone can just jump to the show notes and read the incredibly uh, lengthy biography of Bruce's. Uh, He has just achieved so much in his life. And um, his latest book is called The Honeymoon Effect. And we do speak about that a little bit as well. And I do think it's a book for our times. Uh, And uh, it's, I mean, it's just such a thrill to have him on. So today we're going to be talking, I I start, you're going to laugh. My first question for Bruce today is who are we and how did we get here? 
I figured a biologist slash quantum physicist at the top of the understanding of both of those uh, scientific um, fields would be best placed to have a crack at answering that on a podcast. And so that's where we start and we twist and turn and go all over the shop. So I hope you enjoy that conversation. I want to remind you that we have the wonderful show sponsor, Walida, with us for the Australian listeners, 15% off the entire range and free shipping for over $29.95 in your order. And your code is LOWTOXLIFE, all one word. And uh, you can just head to walida.com.au and uh, pop that code in at the checkout and uh, get 15% off the range. I will say just a couple of products that will be exceptionally useful during these times are that their spray deodorants are 65% alcohol, which constitutes a hand sanitizer. So that might be one that you want to pick up given the crazy shortage in hand sanitizers. You know, I was even trying to get creative because I wanted to make a hand sanitizer DIY couple of recipes for you guys. It's so easy to make, but you do need uh, isopropyl alcohol uh, or ethanol. Um, and uh, like you cannot find uh, rubbing alcohol anywhere at the moment. Uh, and it's all out of stock. And so I got creative and I jumped onto a liquor shop website and I thought overproof rum is 70%. That could be what people could use instead. That's all out of stock too. And I don't think it's for doing shots at home. So uh, these are crazy times, but spray alcohol uh, based deodorant from the Walida range isn't just great for your pits. It's also great for uh, using as a hand sanitizer as a bit of a stopgap and into the future. It's actually a nice big bottle uh, and 21 Australian dollars. So uh, that'll last you a good long while if you need something for on the go uh, and uh, and you find yourself out or needing to collect a delivery and you just want to give your hands a quick spray, whatever. Um, soap and warm water is still the single most effective way with a good 20 second plus wash to uh, break the virus membrane. So just remember that. I don't think we should be turning to hand sanitizers as the number one uh, thing we really need to focus on that hand hygiene and soap and warm water washing but you know hand sanitizers are useful we can't always get to a sink and so uh, that's my little um, hot tip and my second hot tip on the Walida range this week is of course the fact that everybody is washing their hands so gosh darn much there's a lot of people with dry hands out there and there is no better product than their cult product that now has its own range, but I do find the original skin food or the body butter skin food are the two best ones to go for here uh, to keep those hands moisturized uh, in this time of extreme personal hygiene. So those are my pro tips for everyone wanting to make the most of that 15% off. And uh, I just want to jump straight in now and invite you to enjoy this uh, conversation as much as I did. Hello, Bruce. How are you? I am so happy to be here with you and especially our wonderful audience, because I think we have some very empowering uh, information to provide. So thanks for this opportunity. Oh, you are so, so welcome. And uh, I, there are just so many things I can ask you, Bruce, after this incredible decades and decades of offerings you've already made to the world and universe. But I wanted to ask you just a nice little cheeky icebreaker, and that is, who are we and how did we get here? 
Well, real interestingly, uh, I've had two visions in my lifetime because I've had essentially one life and two parts, part A, B. Part A before the awareness that the cells provided regarding things like epigenetics and consciousness. Uh, uh, that beforehand was the conventional world that most people are programmed with, uh, Darwinian theory and life as a mechanism and all that kind of stuff like that. Um, then I would have given you a story, yeah, we got here because of a whole bunch of random accidents called mutations and then natural selection and voila, here we are here. Uh, but I now have a whole different insight into the nature of it, especially because of quantum physics. And now quantum physics, some people just immediately go, ah, just the word alone is freaky. But uh, quantum physics is, is the most truthful and valid science. And uh, just to say the first principle of the most validated of all sciences, quantum physics, uh, is consciousness is creating our life experience. Uh, I now recognize this through the biological mechanism, which we can also talk about epigenetics, which is part of how consciousness controls our life experiences. So I have a different answer to uh, why are we here and who are we? What we're, uh, interesting enough, uh, why are we all different? That's an interesting clue. Why are we all different? I said, what do you mean different? I said, because you can't exchange parts with each other. Mm. Because if I put any part of my body into your body, your immune system will say not self and destroy it. And same, if you put any of your cells or parts in anybody else's body, their immune system will say not self and destroy it. Well, let's start with the first understanding there's a self <laughs> that yeah. everyone has a different self. So that right away, we're all different selves. And then the question is, well, what is the self? Uh, and I, I teach uh, an immunology course and, and we talk about what are called receptors on the surface of the cell. And, and just look at a human and consider that we're a cell. We have receptors, eyes, ears, nose, taste, uh, and we're at the surface reading. Well, at the level of the cell, there are proteins that do the same thing. And there's a set of proteins uh, that makes each person different in the sense that when you look at the, it's like a giant combination lock of proteins, uh, no two people have the same sequence of these proteins. So relevance is this, no two people share the same set of receptors. So what, there are receptors that make us different. <laughs> mm. uh, and, and is this why different immunotherapies work sometimes, don't work on other people? That's right, because each of us is receiving signals and then, uh, and then responding to signals with power. Uh, does a signal control me or do I control the signal? Uh, mm. in old days, signal controlled you. We're victim. Everything's happening to us. Uh, the new story is, no, the signal, we control the signals. You can make any response you want to the world. So I get back and say, okay, what makes us different? I say these antennas. I say, fine. That's how they match uh, who's going to get an organ from donating, donating an organ to a recipient. Uh, what they do is they look at those what are called self-receptors, which I love the word, self-receptors. Uh, and if there's overlap between a donor and a recipient, that means their immune system will be less aggressive. If there's no overlap, the immune system will just wipe out the, the foreign thing. Okay, So that's why they identify who can receive an organ, not just everybody. So I say, so I say, what does it mean? I go, well, identity is picked up by receptors. Receptors are on the outside surface of the cell. It's like receiving a television broadcast. Consider the cell or the body like a television. And there's a broadcast being picked up by the self-receptors. No two people getting the same station. We all have a different station. The receptors receive a signal. 
And then all of a sudden I say, yeah, but wait a minute, then the signal of self is not inside the cell. The signal of self is a broadcast, and if there's a cell with the receptors, then it will pick up the broadcast, okay? Mm -hmm. So basically what it comes down to is a real important insight that says, your identity is the broadcast, not the cell. And I said, well, what the heck does that mean? I said, oh my God, well, you can't die because this is like a television set. I'm playing the Bruce show right now, okay? You're playing yeah. the Alex show. And I say, we're watching a TV and television breaks, say television's dead. And I say, yes, but the broadcast is still there. And if another TV comes with the same set of antennas, it will download the same show. Beautiful part is the, wow. new, the new TV doesn't have to be the same sex. It could be male or female. It's, that's the TV. It could be white, black, brown, yellow, red. That's a TV set. That's, that, that's not you. You're the broadcast. Mm -hmm. uh, and so all of a sudden then I say, so wait a minute. Old story. We're here because of genetic accidents. Wonderful accident. We're here. Enjoy it. Uh, new story is... We are playing an identity through like a, a, a robotic device, a virtual reality suit. When I get into this suit, I can see and smell and taste and feel. And I go, oh, think about it this way. Consciousness can say, love is wonderful. I say, well, what does love feel like? And consciousness goes, consciousness is consciousness. It doesn't mm. have voice. So yeah. I say, oh, well, wait, I have a body. It, it responds to the chemistry of love. And then my nervous system turns it into a field. That's what the brain does. It sends out electrical fields. So I say, oh, so the body converts a sense of love into a vibration. And that's what I am, the vibration. So what was the point? Having a body is an extension to a spirit. Yeah. Oh, jump into this. Hi, smell a rose, you know, see a sunset, feel love. I go, oh, that's mechanical stuff like that. So now... The short answer to the law to the shorter question: Why are we here? <laughs> consider this possibility. Just consider it. That rather than dying and go to heaven, imagine you were born into heaven, where you can manifest a dream, a wish, a desire, experience it, create it, and do all that. I go, oh heaven! I go, oh that's here. That's why we came here. And I'm thinking, we came here to create heaven. And I go, yeah, and we do when, uh, when we're out of what is called a program because yeah. we have been programmed and the program has taken away heaven. And yet heaven is always there. And, uh, and as I've written about in a book called The Honeymoon Effect, mm. uh, your life could be not heaven every day, blah, 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 because we are building a belief based on other people's beliefs. So we share not heaven. And then one day you fall in love. And, and I say, the next day, your life is completely different. Life is, you fall in love. The next day is what I call the beginning of the honeymoon. The honeymoon being the joyous, you know, most exuberant love field experience on the planet where everything is beautiful. It is heaven on earth. Mm -hmm. I go, well, so you experienced heaven on earth. I say, when? When you fell in love. And then I say, well, what happened? Well, it disappeared. I say, well, why didn't we have it? beforehand why did we get it why did we lose it and then all of a sudden it's like oh there are answers to that mm. and once you have the answers all of a sudden it says then 
does honeymoon have to be a short period? And I go, no. Honeymoon experience that joyous, joy, juiciness of love and life and waking up and going, oh my God, I love being here, is an everyday reality if that's what you want. But you have to understand how programming takes that away. Yeah, and that's quite a journey, isn't it? Do you have any advice for people who would be curious at this point? Maybe they've never heard that we're in a program and, uh, and they're thinking, gosh, like where do I start with that? How do I, is it as simple as picking up that latest book or? No, that's a problem. Yeah. That is a problem. And I can tell you firsthand why it's a problem because I, who happened to be there when the cells were telling me how it all worked and I saw the mechanism, I was like, oh my God, I'm not in there, all that blah, blah, blah. And I came up with the awareness of what we just talked about is heaven and we came here to create and I'm thinking then why have, if I'm creating, how come this mess? Yeah, <laughs> uh, that's right. I mean, it does beg the question, right? Yeah, it does. And then, and then I started, you know, uh, but I had the understanding of, I understood about the nature of programming. I understand that. And I say, oh my God, I have all this awareness. And I was so excited. I wanted to tell people why, because if I said, let me explain the science of how we created heaven on earth, which is the science of the honeymoon. I said, let me explain that to you. And then you could have honeymoon all the time and all that. And I said, you create the most beautiful life. I remember saying that. And then people would come and get a few people, gather them together. And I'd start talking about creating the beautiful life. And then they look at me and they cock their head and they go, you know, Lipton, for a guy who says you know this stuff, your, your life doesn't look that good. And all of a sudden, I realized <laughs> the, the old saying, which I thank God I didn't say out loud, but uh, do as I say, not as I do. Yeah. And I realized I had all this awareness, but my life was still the exact same life. And what how far back different? are we talking when you had that realization? Oh, about 1985, something mm-hmm. like that, you yeah. know. So this was when you started kind of sharing with colleagues super enthusiastically going, guys, I figured something massive out. And everyone's like, okay, Bruce has lost it. Yeah, they sure did. I mean, uh, it was uh, so disheartening. My first uh, public, you know, in front of scientists, my whole new understanding about epigenetics and all that, which was 30 years or so before uh, the science was recognized. I was there in the, you know, as a pioneer, uh, and I gave this talk about a new idea that the audience was unaware of, and then they looked at me as a total weirdo, and they all walked out on me. And at some point I thought, God, I must be crazy, because I thought this thing was so damn great and understanding, and everybody just left. Not even anybody asked me a question after my lecture. They just walked out, and it was like, Ooh, maybe uh, I'm insane. You know, I actually believe that. I thought maybe I'm crazy because nobody even asked a question. I just walked away. Uh, uh, but later, of course, it took 20 years after that before science now recognized everything I was talking about. So 20 years before science recognized that I was some weirdo out there. Uh, and uh, But the reality was, um, uh, regardless of what they thought, uh, when I recognized I had this awareness, but my life was not it. What was wrong? And that's when I got into understanding how that there are two minds. The mind is controlling it, but there are two minds. And, and the two minds work together, but they have different functions and they learn in different ways. And if you confuse them, then you say there's one mind. You put all the functions in there and you go, that's how it works. I go, no, no. 
two minds and you have to understand they're different. So the, you know, basically the latest evolution of the brain is right behind your forehead here. It's called the prefrontal cortex. And this is the seat of where the conscious mind is generally located. The rest of the brain behind it is called the subconscious. So there's the conscious and the subconscious, two parts. Then I say, what's the difference? Conscious is wishes and desires. It's creative. Anything you think. You can think of anything. Great. Conscious. Okay. Mm. Subconscious is program. Just automatic. Push the button. Play the program. So it's not a thinking thing. It's a, it's a pre-organized program. Yeah, and it's what um, uh, I've been on one of Dr. Joe's advanced retreats, and it's what he talks about when by the time we're 35 or something, 95% of our day is just on autopilot we don't even realize. Absolutely. Crazy. Uh, and you have to recognize uh, uh, how it works. And the first thing is this. Let's just step back one second and recognize the, the brain is a computer, a supercomputer more powerful than any human computer, right? At this, you know, made computer. Uh, and I say, so let's understand that as a computer, there are relative uh, insights that we can get. Number one, uh, if you go to the store and buy a new computer, you can take it home and push start and the thing boots up. I say, oh, got operating system. I say, yeah, now it's ready. Okay. And then I say, uh, but now do something like write or make a drawing or a spreadsheet. I say, do something. And I say, no, I can't do anything. I say, why not? I got an operating system, but I don't have any program. <clears throat> so I have to install programs. Yeah. Now that I have the program, I can use the program. Okay. Got it. So there's three levels. First, you have to put an operating system in. Second level, for, you have to put the programs in. And third, then you get control of the program. Mm -hmm. Well, the operating system is built into a human brain uh, in the last trimester of pregnancy, last three months of pregnancy. Then what? Well, now that the operating system is in there, you can't use it until you put programs in. So I say, ah, then from the last trimester of pregnancy through age seven, the brain function is not functioning at a higher level of consciousness. It's functioning at a download level of program. A program is just observing and recording what you see. That's a program. This is how my father behaves. I recorded that. Push the button. This is how I behave, just like my father or my mother and my family. So this is how, uh, as individual human beings, how can we become a functional member of a family and a functional member of a community when there are rules? There are rules of behavior. If you don't follow the rules, you, you, you don't fit in, you, you know, you're in trouble. So I say, well, how do you teach an infant rules of behavior? And I go, again, nature already took care of that. First seven years, you're on record. So you learn behavior just by observing other people. I go, yeah, but what if they have bad behavior? I say, well, then you just downloaded that too. You, you, there's no yeah. review of the behavior. You download what you see. So if your parents were not the loving couple and you grew up in that family, I say, what's your program about relationship? Well, it's exactly what they had. Mm -hmm. And what will you do? It's an automatic program. If your program is running, you will create exactly the relationship your parents had. You will create the life that your parents had because you downloaded the program. Okay. Mm. This is the foundation why the Jesuits for 400 years told their followers Give me a child until it is seven and I will show you the man. 
Think about yeah. what you said. Yeah. Give me a child until the age of seven. Well, that's precisely the age of when downloading occurs. And then it says, I'll show you the man. Well, what was the point? And as you brought up, and I'll emphasize again, we spend 95% of our time thinking. And I say, what the hell does that mean? I say, well, if consciousness is, let's say your body is a vehicle with a steering wheel. Mm -hmm. I say, when consciousness is driving, I say, where's it going? I say, it's going toward wishes and desires. I say, yeah, but what happens if you're thinking? I say, oh, instead of looking out the window, consciousness goes in. Thinking is inside. If I ask you right now, tell me what you're doing at uh, Sunday at 2 o'clock, and it's not in front of you, I bet in a moment you'll think and go, this is what I'm doing. I say, yeah, but during that moment of thinking, you weren't looking out, you were looking in. Mm -hmm. So you let go of the control. You let go of the wheel. I'm not watching out the window. I say, ah, subconscious autopilot gets in and drives. Yeah, but now is it driving toward wishes and desires? I go, no, it's driving toward program. <laughs> Whatever yeah. the program is, it's driving toward that. So if I got a crap program from my parents of how to be in a relationship, then when I am thinking, my behavior will be run by that program. And I will, and I say the word unconsciously, meaning conscious mind is busy, so it's not paying attention. I will unconsciously sabotage my relationship so that it comes out like my parents' relationship. And mm. I won't see it. I won't see it. Why? Because it's autopilot. Yeah. What does and, that mean? And, I, yeah. Can I um, add, like, so obviously till seven, we're watching everything else. So we're watching the way they have a stress response to something bad that happens. We're watching Absolutely. the way they celebrate. We're watching, and that's all on record as well. 100%. And so can I then just share something personal? So my dad is someone who tends to, get very stressed and react very fast. Oh my gosh, this is terrible kind of thing. And I feel like I have been on a life's work of deprogramming that response in myself because I saw myself getting that way as a teenager and thought this isn't right. And um, my mom was very helpful actually. She said that that is not you, that's your dad. And I don't think she realized she was being spiritually in tune at the time, but she really wanted me to know that, that is where I had got that from. So once you have that awareness, you can start to try and work on it. But I tried for decades and it wasn't until I started meditating and moving out of my program that I actually successfully became a, an extremely relaxed response person. <laughs> and I find sometimes the old program tries to come in. So let's say, uh, the bushfires, you know, or the coronavirus or the big yeah. things that happen. And of course, they can be extremely impactful on our psyche, especially with the influence culturally all around us. But I feel this pull away from freaking out so strong because of that work I've done that yeah. I go very insular for a few days. And then I come out like a little calm butterfly and try and help people, unite people, show people the way. Exactly. Uh, and, uh, and I honestly believe that would never have happened if I had tried to do that all in, uh, in a pragmatic way, like in a psychologist's office, work on it, talk about it. No, I literally no. had to go somewhere else to create a new program. You could do that. You could do that, but it would take a long, long time. Yeah, and that's nothing to, against psychologists the and their body of work, by the way. That's just programming and education of psychology. 
Okay, mm. their foundational programming is not accurate, just as medicines is not really accurate either. Mm. Uh, and so the practice takes us away from really the destination we're trying to go to, okay? Mm -hmm. But you reprogram the program. And, and you know, and it's important that your mother brought that up because most people will say, oh, well, that's genetic. You got that from your father because yeah, you're not yeah. the gene, uh, you know, and it's interesting. How can you get a fear gene? Well, let, here, let me tell you a simple story about cancer. Uh-huh. There is not one gene that causes cancer. There's not a gene that causes cancer. That's a fact of science, okay? Genes are correlated with cancer. I say, well, what the heck does that mean? I say, if you're not living in harmony, you can engage a cancer experience, okay? I say, well, why is it relevant? The gene didn't cause the cancer. It was first not living in harmony <laughs> caused the cancer. The mm -hmm. gene just came up later, okay? And define living in harmony. Well, it's living in a... Just like you've been trying to do, you got rid of the stress. You can live and help others in the middle of their problem. You're not stressed. I'm okay. I'm in harmony. I'm in health with my mind and my consciousness. I'm not afraid. These kinds of things like that, okay? Uh, and, and so this is uh, uh, really the, the most critical insight that, that is to reprogram that subconscious. Now, when I first uh, started to lecture and say, oh my God, this new knowledge means you're creating heaven on earth and you can have it every day. And then they looked at me and my program was no. That's when the wake up call to say, wait, just because I got the knowledge in no way changed the character of my life at all. Mm. And that's where the separation of the mind comes in. The conscious mind being creative can learn in any way, read a book, watch a video, go to a lecture, you know, just go, aha, you can change conscious mind. Mm. But subconscious mind's habit mind. I say, well, why is it relevant? I said, if habits just change every day like that, then they wouldn't be habits anymore. A habit yeah. is something you want to hold on to without having to relearn it each time. So uh, I'll give a good example of a subconscious habit. When did you learn how to walk? Before you were two. Are you still walking? Yep. Do you have to think about it? Absolutely not. Don't even have to think I'm going to walk across the other side of the room. I just have the intention and the program of walking is automatic. So thank God I have a subconscious program because these are the kinds of things that allow us to do our day-to-day -day things without putting consciousness into every movement. Yeah, and trying to control it's just everything. like riding a bike. That's right. Okay, so there are good programs. And then I say, well, there are also bad programs. And I say, and if it's a program, it already resists change. Because if it changes, then it's not a program anymore. Mm. But you can rewrite the program, but then you have to recognize the second part. I said, the two minds don't do the same thing. Conscious mind is creative, wishes and desires. Subconscious mind is habit. Whatever the program is, I push a button, I just play the program. No thinking. Mm. Okay? So I say, and where did I get the habits? Well, we just said, first seven years, I get them from observing all the people around me. And things that I learned, personal experience, like walking or not putting my finger in the flame after it burns me the first time. I got it. Not again. Okay. So what was the point? We've got program. Now they're, they are habits. And uh, uh, these programs occur in the first seven years. Then we find out, my God, when we're only driving toward wishes and desires 5% of the time, 97% of the time we're playing habits. And we don't see them because they're automatic. Uh, and I say, uh, so a little helpful moment here, helpful point A. 
Mm. What the heck are my programs? Why? Because you got them when you were zero. You got them when you were one. You got them when you were two. You weren't there. There was no consciousness to observe the program. So you have programs that you have no idea because you weren't there. But then I say they control 95% of your life. So all of a sudden I say, ah, but here's an insight. Since 95% of my life is coming from my program, then my programs are printed out in the expression of my life. Mm -hmm. So I say, oh, well, then look at your life and you'll know your program. I go, what do you mean? I say, the things that you like that come into your life come in because you have a program to acknowledge that. But the things you want, desire, and you have to work hard and struggle and sweat over it and put effort into it, you know, to make things happen. Then the question is, why are you working so hard? And then the answer inevitably is, whatever program you got, doesn't support that and your efforts are to override an invisible behavior that is canceling your destination mm. so this is where the problem comes from so does I this, give my is this why we get the why does this always happen to me i'm trying so hard because trying is conscious yeah and and program is rep- repetitive program and if you don't change the program by definition it will repeat itself until you change that program Gotcha. So the idea is, well, what is it your program? And that's what we just said. Why did that happen again? That's <laughs> because mm. it's a program. So now you, you know, you want to change the program, okay? But then it's like, well, how do you do it? And I said, because it learns in a different way. You can't use the same way you made a conscious program. So you can read the self-help book and instantly download all that knowledge. And I say, yep, it's right there in your head. I'll give you a quiz. You get a hundred. I understood the book. I say, well, did the book now go down <laughs> and what you learned have changed your life? And the answer is no. No. Why? Because no. that's, not, that's not how the subconscious learns. That's, that's why the, we go to these amazing conferences. We're all inspired and, oh, my gosh, I'm going to put all of this into practice. And you just check in with that person as a fly on the wall two weeks later and they're still doing exactly what they Exactly. Wanted. Exactly. Mm-hmm. So now the question is this. Does it have to be that way? I say, when you have knowledge, no, because there's alternatives. Mm. You don't have any knowledge, it's just happening. It just happens. I go, no, it's not just happening. It happens by a reason. So if you understand the reason, then you have power to control the outcome. Mm -hmm. That's the whole point. So the first reason is why is it happening? And the answer is because 95% of the day is the time spent thinking, which then means 95% of the day is the time programs are running. And 95% of the day is the day you're not observing the program. So if it's a negative program, you're sabotaging yourself and you have no idea because all you saw was the result. You didn't see that you were participating. You Mm. see that it didn't work. So So, And then your conscious mind goes, well, I wouldn't have made that. And then you say, I'm a victim because I wouldn't have done that. And the fact was, not in your conscious mind, you wouldn't have done that. But if that's part of the program, you would have done That's what you get. That's what you get. So now we say, okay, we looked at the program and I say, we want to change it. Then I go, well, then there's uh, the situation. Well, ah, the subconscious learns in a different way than conscious. That's why reading a self-help book went into the conscious mind, but did not go into the subconscious mind. Why? There are three fundamental ways. The first two are natural. I said, what was the first two? I said, well, the first one we mentioned that in the first seven years of your life, your brain is operating at a lower 
the consciousness vibration called theta, which is hypnosis, which means that's how you downloaded it. Mm-hmm. You want to change a program in a subconscious? You can use self-hypnosis. I go, what's that? I go, well, remember there are different vibrations to consciousness. That's when they put the wires on a person's head and read called EEG, electroencephalograph reading brain vibrations. There are several levels. The uh, conventional high during the day is called beta, which is schoolroom focused. Yeah. Uh, when you come home, the vibration slows down. It's called alpha. That's called conscious, uh, calm conscious. So you high consciousness at work, come down at home, vibration slows down, calm consciousness. And at the moment you fall asleep, consciousness disconnects, but the brain is still working. And it's at the next vibration, which is called theta. Mm-hmm. I go, well, that was the vibration of hypnosis. I go, yes. Yeah. And, 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 and so you, you fall asleep. You're in alpha conscious, you fall asleep, you're in theta, and shortly after theta turns into delta, which is now you're just unconscious asleep, okay? Mm-hmm. So the point is this, every night when you go to bed, the moment consciousness checks out, in the instant you fall asleep, there's this period of short period of time where the mind is still operating at theta, which is record. So if I put earphones on at night when I go to bed and I'm playing a program of things that I want to be true, health, happiness, uh, wealth, uh, any of the, anything you want that you're having struggle with, you put a program with the positive nature of that as a program, and you put the earphones on at night, and, uh, and the moment you fall asleep, guess what? You don't hear the, the recording. Consciousness mm-hmm. is falling asleep, but subconscious is hearing it. And repetition of that process will put a new program in. So every night, just put the earphones on, and after a short period of time, guess what? You wake up, and you realize you didn't need to put the earphones on because now your life is already doing what you wanted it to do. Mm. And that's because the program has downloaded uh, in a repetitious manner for the period of time through self-hypnosis. So that's number one. I say, number two, I say, what about, oh, I say, well, after age seven, you still learn things. You learn how to drive a car, play a music instrument or something, very complex behavior that now becomes a habit. I say, you still learned, but it's not hypnosis. I say, oh, well, then how did I learn after age seven? I go, repetition, Mm -hmm. practice, habituation. When you got in a car, you didn't know how to drive the car the first minute you got the keys. (laughs) You had to practice driving the car. And the more you practice, the easier it got. Now, after you've been driving a while, guess what? You don't even think of the details of driving. You put the key in, your thoughts are where you're going and what's going to happen, what you're going to do. And and guess what? The next thing you know, you're there without paying any attention to the driving. Why? Because it's automatic. It's a habit. Okay? Uh, and you're thinking. And I say, what are you thinking about? Well, what you were going to do. So I said, well, when you were thinking, then you weren't paying attention to the driving. I go, nope. Autopilot drove you okay that's the way it goes so i say you want to put a program in after age seven another way of doing it then is repetition you engage in that behavior that you want to be true and just repeat it like if you're not happy during the day then anytime you have a moment that you realize wait you have to say i am happy i am happy just say it i am happy I'm happy. As many times a day as you can possibly remember to say it. And I say, why? Every time you say it, it's creating a habit. 
And there is a point where the habit is installed where you don't have to say, I'm happy. Why? Because once the program is in 95% of the day, the mind will manifest that program. I am happy. <laughs> Without you putting any effort, it's, there's a very positive side. What's the point? Mm-hmm. You put some effort in to put the program in. Once the program is in, it requires no more effort because it's operating 95% of the day anyway without you paying any attention. So it's like easy then. So, and then the third way uh, is something new. And there, there's an old saying something like, uh, necessity is the mother of invention. Mm-hmm. Uh, human civilization is facing the sixth mass extinction of life precipitated by our behavior. And the only way we're going to survive this is humans have to change their behavior, which is programming. Mm. So we're facing a necessity, a necessity to change programming fast. <coughs> Excuse me. The first uh, two ways. <coughs> Excuse me. Uh, the um, uh, the uh, uh, self hypnosis and the repetition. Okay, there's time. You got to do. That's time. You got to put effort in. A lot of time. Okay. Not a lot of effort, just put time into listening or practicing. Yeah, yeah. The faster way is this third way, the new way. It's called energy psychology. And energy psychology is a bunch of modalities of uh, engaging the equivalent of super learning, which allows you to download things really, really, really fast within minutes. Okay. Uh, and so on my website, just to make things simpler right now, under resources, well, first, Bruce Lipton. Dot com. That's yeah. simple. Uh, the under resources it says belief change modifications, and I think there are about twenty-five or more different <clears throat> energy psychology modalities that can be used to rapidly download new beliefs. And wow! Some, right and there some, on the website. I have not dug that far, but I am uh, headed there straight after our chat. <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, <clears throat> I mean, my life was so profoundly changed by energy psychology, which I didn't know anything about. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, was this an existing science that you connected with people on around that time? Yeah, well, I was lecturing, uh, let's say back in the early 80s, 85, 86 or something like that, and giving what I thought were the most fabulous lectures because it was the newest science about how consciousness creates life and that you know that you could create the most wonderful life. Uh, and then, uh, you know, and say, and the problem is we've been programmed and thank you very much. And that the first question was always, well, how do I change the program? And it was like, for me, that was an irritation because I knew it was programmed, but I had zero idea mm-hmm. about changing the program. To me, it was like all the beautiful science that led to the conclusion. It's like, well, that's screw the science. How do I change the program? Was <laughs> let the air out of the balloon at the end of my every lecture and I'd walk away and and this particular time, I was in the Rocky Mountains at a conference, and I remember uh, getting the same question and saying, okay, you know, nobody asks anymore. If you didn't know how to change the program, okay, what else, you know? So uh, I was putting my computer in my, my briefcase, carrying it to the back of the room, and I hear the next guy uh, say, I'm going to show you how to change those beliefs that Bruce was talking about. And I thought, huh? I had to turn around. And here's this guy going to say that he's going to bring somebody up on the stage, which he did, uh, and change their belief in minutes. I go, really? You know, it's like, really? Are you kidding me? You, you're so brazen to think that you're just going to change somebody's beliefs in front of us in minutes? I was like, I watch this one, you know? Mm. <laughs> so you, at that point in time, still thought this science had yet to evolve yeah. into that part B where we even, knew yeah. what to do. Yeah. 
I, I, I was just like, I was just like anybody else in the audience. Oh, show me. <laughs> and uh, I'll never forget it because uh, he asked anybody want to change a belief and almost everybody's hands went up. But I saw this woman put her hand up and then down and then, then up and like, close like that. And of course, uh, and my friend now, Rob, saw this and he saw her, I saw her, he picked her. Uh, and he said to her, tell us your name and what issue you want like to change. And everybody looked at her and she just turned beet red. Nothing. I mean, she took like glow red. She was uh, not a word came out of her mouth. She, not a word. He had to go in the audience, get next to her and talk to her one on one. Find mm. out her, her name is Pauline and her issue. She can't talk in public. Well, geez, we already know that. Oh, wow. She she couldn't okay. even say her name. She couldn't say her <laughs> name. <laughs> but how, so, how paralyzing would that be to walk through life like that? Well, and so many people have that. They right. Really, it's really a real surprise. Her. And to see her be, I mean, her face got red. It was just like, because she, she was so emotionally. Uh, uh, and I thought, oh, I've crossed my arms like, oh, this, I'm going to see this. <laughs> And he went through his process called Psyche, and uh, it was about 10 minutes later, uh, she was sitting in a chair during the process. <clears throat> uh, he has her stand up, they completed the process, 10 minutes or so, and I remember he had his arm on her shoulder, turns her to the audience and says, Pauline, would you like to tell the audience about what you just experienced? He took his arm off her shoulder, and this woman, started giving a lecture, walking up and down the stage, talking about this, talking about that, talking about this. The, the, so the funniest piece of the whole thing was, there's Rob going, Pauline, would you please sit down? You're using up my lecture time. <laughs> <laughs> okay. We love that you can talk now. If you could just please take your seat. Yeah. <laughs> but it was so amazing to see this transformation mm. uh, in, in like a, a 10, 15-minute process. I was like, wow. And since then, uh, I actually, I, I had trouble writing the book, Biology of Belief, because mm -hmm. my subconscious was sabotaging it, because it said, if you write the book you're intending to write, you're going to lose accreditation, validation from your peers. Mm -hmm. Your scientific peers are going to look at you like you're a crazy man. Mm -hmm. uh, and so my subconscious kept sabotaging my writing of the book. I'd get halfway through and it just, whoop, just stop. I couldn't go any further. Mm -hmm. And then I... Uh, I did one of these energy psychology modality things here, the Psyche one, and my God, that book just came out like, just came right out once yeah. that was changed, that I was protecting myself, and I had to change that belief. And then the book came out essentially immediately right after that. Wow, that's so interesting, yeah. because as an author, I'm writing my second book now, and I spent the whole summer torturing myself <laughs> and you're laughing in the way <laughs> fellow <What>? author knows. <laughs> and I was pushing and I was proving and the energy was defensive and protective and it felt absolutely horrible to the point where two days before my first draft was due, I got in contact with my beautiful publisher who uh, I said, this book actually can't be born in its current iteration. Everything's wrong. My energy's wrong. I want to tell a story of success, not precaution. 
And I think I've found a way to do it. And I had gone through all of this in my head, reconnected to my, my highest value, which is peace. Personally, that is a, a place that I, I need to be to feel myself. And, um, and then, of course, the book's writing itself now, you know? Exactly. You know, it's interesting because through this psyche process, um, uh, you can plan a future thing. Mm-hmm. Not to deal with a past program, but I can manifest a future thing. And it was about a 15-minute process, uh, and it was about writing the book, which I had trouble with. This is what I was telling you. So I had this, mm. this called the balance. And, and I'll remember exactly to take all the words and sum it down to what is, what is it you want in the shortest sentence? And I said, um, I want this book uh, to, to be easy, to be fast, because it's taken me so long. So I, I said, I want it to be fast. And I thought, well, I want it to be easy. <laughs> and uh, I thought, and why not have fun? So I, my balance, which it was called, where I put in, I, this book will be fast, easy, and fun. Okay. Mm. This book is fast, easy, and fun. Uh, I put that in. That was like some time. And I just, you know, I forgot all about it. It was like 15 minutes. We were, you know, busy doing other things. So it was like, I ran into Rob, the guy who did it, and he helped me do the balance. And then we went our different way. And I didn't think about it. And then uh, months later, when the book was finished, and I was reading it, the manuscript for the last time before sending it to the publisher, as you well know. Uh, and I'm going through the whole thing, I get to the last page, and I'm down to the last sentence, and I complete it, and I go, ha, oh, pushed myself away from the table, sat there for a second, and said, wow, that was fast, and it was kind of easy. It was fun. <laughs> and all of a sudden, I said, oh my God, these are the exact three words that I put into a program months before, completely forgot that I even said it. Mm-hmm. And the first thing that came out after completion of the book were the exact three words. It was, it was fast, easy, and fun. It was like, wow. Wow. Blow my mind. <laughs> Amazing. And so people can just pop on your website and have a little dig through the resources and well, there's find so many, some there's places that, to go from. Yeah. yeah, I think there are about 25 or so listed, which are just their website, a little brief description, one or two sentences, and then a website where they can get the details on each one of these different modalities. Amazing. Lots, yes. of, um, lots of curious fun to be had. Now, I want to take us back to you talking about the fact that we're on the brink of the sixth mass extinction because we are and the habits that have all been built culturally all around the world, influenced by our parents, influenced by friends, uh, people like us do things like this kind of living. Um, Where do we start? Is is it uh, the, the belief that simply starting with ourselves is the best place to start? Is that the blueprint from which we move? Yeah, it's very interesting. There's an old hippie phrase from 100 years ago, and it was, before you go out and save the world, take care of your own backyard. Yeah. And this is exactly it. Uh, while the world is going through all this chaos and we have like, oh, let's go out there and help fix the chaos, until you fix the, the belief system in your own, your own consciousness, um, uh, it, it's not, the effort is not worth it to go out because you'll just probably sabotage what you're doing unconsciously with an old program. Mm. So, so if you're someone who shares an article on the internet saying, we've got to stop buying all this stuff, but you haven't figured out how to actually break the consumerist cycle yourself, that's where you got to start. 
that, that's it. So you have to, you know, and that was me. Look, here, oh, I got this great insight information of how you can create the most beautiful world. But until I started myself, that message had no meaning. Mm. Uh, because they look at me, as I said, they go, well, Lipton, your life doesn't look that good. And so what good is my message? It was stupid. It didn't match me. Mm. So that's when the, you know, the whole take-home message was, oh, no, I got to put this in as a program. Mm. Make this a way of life. And once it was a way of life, then all of a sudden the message meant a lot more because people could see, look, uh, you know, he, he's not having a bad thing going on. Maybe he's got something good here. Let's listen to it. Mm. <laughs> uh, and it changed, changed the thing. So first we have to change ourselves. And I said, well, how do you do that? And we said, well, we already talked about that because we just mentioned uh, how do I know what the program is? I said, well, look at your life. Your life is a printout and the things that you like come in, don't worry about it. That's a program. But the things where you're not happy and you're struggling, uh, these are where we first have to fix those before we go out into the front line and help mm -hmm. change the world. And, and then we talked about, well, yeah, the three ways, self-hypnosis, repetition, and energy psychology. And we need to do this uh, only because we need to be healthy if the world's not being healthy. Mm. Uh, I, I always like to use uh, the airline thing when you're in the airplane and they talk about before you take off, you know, the conditions and they say, uh, you know, if the air thing changes, these masks will drop down from the ceiling. And the, and the conclusion of that statement is most important. Put your mask on before helping others. Okay. Yeah. And basically that is the message. You, you have to take care of yourself. If you can't take care of yourself, how can you, you know, logically take care of somebody else? Mm -hmm. And so that's why dealing with the home fires first is a destination to be able to walk outside in the middle of chaos and go, Hey, it's a beautiful day out here. Isn't it wonderful? Mm -hmm. uh, don't get, you know, not getting caught up in the crazy people. Mm. And and by virtue of enough people then becoming curious, wow, I, you know, I want to live the way you're living. You seem so relaxed through all this. And then sort of starting to create a bit of a domino effect around you. Is exactly. that how we then look further away and go, oh, wow, what I see around me in the distance is actually starting to look better? Uh, absolutely. This is really critical. You have, to, you have to make your sphere of influence one that is supporting who you are. So if I want to live heaven on earth and everyone around me is living hell on earth, I'm going to have trouble out there, okay? Mm -hmm. But if I find a group of people who like to share the same idea, then I'm part of a community of people sharing a, con you know, a community idea. Then I'm protected from that outside world by being in a community. Mm -hmm. And so uh, what we have to do is identify who we want to be and then, be, you know, find the community of people who are doing what we want to be. You don't have to find them. They'll find you, in fact. Uh, and then you'll start to find you'll be surrounded by different kinds of people. First of all, you'll be surrounded by people which are happy people and healthy mm -hmm. people and taking responsibility for their lives and not complaining that I'm a victim of this or a victim of that. They're, they're self-empowered. We have to go to self-empowerment. That's what it's all about. And yet, go back over our programming, and most of our programming is limiting our uh, power, self-sabotaging beliefs, uh, uh, disempowering programs. Mm -hmm. And I say, well, man, if you can't overcome those, how can you go out and, and serve on the front line? Mm -hmm. It doesn't make a difference about serving on the front line, because if you overcome those first, your life is already <laughs> a good place. Yeah. Now you can donate good to help other people. But you've got to put yourself in a good place. Yeah. 
And uh, can I ask a, a personal question, thinking back to when you started doing this work for yourself, did you have any frustrations reprogramming? No, the, 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 well, the frustration first was recognizing that my subconscious was running this show. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that was interesting because the first time I had any real knowledge of the subconscious over my conscious mind was when I experienced uh, my first visit to a chiropractor and I asked him, well, show me something being from the medical profession and hearing chiropractors are, you know, fake and all that, but I needed one. Uh, and, uh, <laughs> Still didn't so save the fact said, you had a bad shoulder that day. <laughs> show me something. And they showed me kinesiology, muscle testing. And the, the thing that blew my mind is, okay, you know, hold out my arm, uh, say something, my name is Bruce, and then they do the pressure. And then they say, make up a name, like a woman's name, for example, and say, my name is Carol. And, and then they say, keep your arm strong. And I said, well, of course I can. I put my arm out. I said, my name is Carol. He pushed on my arm, fell right down. I said, wait a minute. I said, First thing, oh, I wasn't ready. <laughs> I wasn't ready. <laughs> I know. I do that too. I'm like, I'm going to hold my arm out so hard and you're right. not going to be able to push it down. That was exactly. I thought, of course I can hold out my arm and control it. So I say, <laughs> my name is Carol with the fullest intention of I'm holding my arm out and I'm controlling yeah. it. And boom, my arm dropped. And it was like, it dawned on me. I said, oh my God, I am not controlling this. My statement of I am Carol, no matter how much I wanted to believe it was not in harmony with my subconscious program. And when the two minds are in disharmony, that causes muscle weakening, okay? So the simple reality was at some point is, oh my God, the subconscious is running this. I couldn't override it with my intention. My name is Carol. Yeah, sure. Uh, It made no difference. And that was like the wake up call said, my subconscious is stronger than my conscious mind. I Mm. could not override it. And that was the wake up to the subconscious existence and then to the programming quality and all that. And that led to, oh, my goodness, I uh, have to change it. And I remember the first time that really hit me, I was sitting in the car at a stoplight. And while the light's going and, you, you know, and you're waiting, thoughts are passing through your head. And for a moment, I was like a third party listening to the thought tape that was playing through my head and was going, oh, it's late. You're not going to make it now. It's going to be too late for you to get there on time. And, you know, and I stopped for a second as a third party going, you're already projecting you're late and you're not even moving yet. You're you're projecting a conclusion that's you don't want that. So uh, basically, I remember at that moment taking I think I had a, a small pamphlet or something and leaned it up against the clock on the radio on the dashboard yeah. so I couldn't see the time oh nice I realize a simple point I'm going to get there when a the car gets there I'm not I don't have to you know be in fear I'm just going to get there when it gets there and of course I got there on time without mm. the work without the fear without the fear and all of a sudden I started to realize wow you know by re- just redirecting that intention I changed the whole outcome of this experience you know uh, and then of course the media thing was, well, what else can I change now that yeah. I that's see a nice it? little, uh, a nice little teaser, an yeah. easy one. Yeah. Exactly. And then I went about changing things and, and, and observing how quickly the, the, this, you know, came back in such a beautiful way, how making a decision at the moment that you do it because that's what we always do versus I don't want to do it. Uh, but that's what we always do. And I go, I don't want to do it. <laughs> And then make a commitment. I'm not doing it. And then all of a sudden realizing I'm recovering time 
that I would have, because of social whatever rules, put my time into, which I would have wasted my time, not enjoyed it at all. And I realized I canceled that, which then did what it do. It opened up my time. It's like, oh my God, I can do what I want during this time instead of being socially, you know, the herd following what they were doing. And that was like, how many of those things can I recover my time from? How many of those things that we do because, well, that's what we do, because that's what we do. Uh, how many of those times can you just say, that's not what I want to do? And, and, and make a decision at that moment. No, because at the moment you do that, the, the, the energy just comes back in your body so quickly. It's like, oh, I just conserved all that energy I would have spent. Uh, and now all of a sudden it's like a kid in a candy store where all of a sudden a dollar is like, oh my God, I got to buy all this candy in here. Uh, 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 you know, you want, you want to go back to the candy store as much as you can. So every time you recover time that you would have done out of obligation, yeah. which wasn't necessary, but because everyone does it, um, and you recover that time, you recover life. And it's your life. And when we give it away like that, then we lose the power of our life. It's, uh, it's something just to conscious, be conscious of it. Is that what you really want to do? Yes or no? Mm. And then, so can I um, workshop something there? Yeah. Uh, obviously, as in the parenting years, um, like you can't just kind of lay back and go, yeah, I just don't really feel like taking my kid to school, like. I'm just going to. Oh, no, 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 no. <laughs> so, but like. Parenting was you signed up. Yeah, yeah, that's what I mean. School. So you have to remember what you signed up for. I value education. I really love the school that and, we take him to. And this is just a part of that. And so. Yeah. That's, and it's the most yeah. important job in the world. Yeah. Because you're programming an individual's life. Mm. For seven years, you're programming. And you don't realize if you got negative programming, you're playing for it. The kid doesn't distinguish good from bad. They just record. Mm. So, you know, uh, let me give you the power of that programming. Uh, and uh, simply in this story, they followed the fate of children who were adopted into families where there was cancer running in the family. Mm -hmm. And they find that the adopted child will get the same family cancer as the same probability as any of the natural siblings. Wow. But the the child is adopted has completely different genetics what was the point the cancer wasn't because of the genes it was the programming that was not supportive of that individual and all of a sudden it says well then what's the importance if parents understood that their programming number one you're you're changing the life of this child based on how you're treating this child at this moment because that's how this child is going to treat the world at this moment and all of a sudden, but then we also have to recognize this. I'm going to be a conscious parent. I go, yes, I'm going to consciously raise my kid with conscious wishes and desires. And I go, and how much of the day is that parenting? 5%. I go, and guess what? 95% of the day, you're going to parent that child just the way you got parented yourself. And that behavior runs in families. And if that behavior is not in harmony with biology, then that behavior turns into diseases that run in families. Cardiovascular disease is programming. Cancer, programming. These are, these are issues. And it's like, 
let's we have to change the world because we now know the evolution past us there's going to have to be a whole new way of living on this planet right now then brings the emphasis to parents very big time you need to help make this kid be as powerful as they possibly can be to help the future of this planet that's a responsibility that is very critical and when we take it on yeah, absolutely. I, I, for one, have fully signed up. <laughs> uh, Bruce, there are just so many questions I, I still have brewing. I feel like we're going to have to do a part two a few months down the track. Um, but there is something I would like to, uh, to finish on and get a little bit of guidance from you on for everybody listening, which is when a big um, thing happens. It could be a mass shooting in the States. You guys obviously have uh, a huge issue there. Uh, it could be for us, it was the bushfires over the summer and it can feel all consuming and it can be very, very hard to um, deprogram from the way society responds in crisis mode and actually carve out a productive new path forward where perhaps we actually start to focus on the beauty of cultivating a, a longer honeymoon, if you like. And, yeah. um, and I, I just, I feel like a lot of people need some guidance on their first responder response uh, when these things come up. Um, yeah. Okay. I think the, the first responder response is assess the situation as you see it. Mm. And then secondly, calm down. <laughs> yeah. Because uh, emergency things uh, cause a stress response. Yeah. And, and I say, well, what's the benefit of that? And I say, well, if you're running away from a saber-toothed tiger, damn, this is a good response. Because uh, uh, the stress response uh, allocates the blood of the body to go to the arms and legs. Mm. Uh, because the blood carries the energy and the arms and legs are going to save you when you're being chased by a tiger. I say, well what do you mean allocated to the arms and legs? Where was it generally allocated before? <laughs> I go, well, the blood is primarily in the viscera, the gut. Mm -hmm. And I say, well, what happens? I say, well, stress hormones squeeze the blood vessels in the gut, which then force the blood to the arms and legs, because that's what you're going to need all the energy with. And I say, well, then what about the functions of the gut? And I go, well, they don't need the energy when you're running away from a saber-toothed tiger. I say, yeah, but what are the functions of the gut? Health, maintenance, cleaning the body, replacing things, you know, just stabilizing our biology, which takes energy, okay? So I say, oh, so the first thing is this. Body maintenance stops when the blood vessels start to close. And that's what people get the, the feel of butterflies in the stomach when they start to be afraid. That's actually the blood vessels squeezing shut. You can fluttering. You can feel them. Uh, and that's when the blood goes to the arms and legs so I can run, okay? So the idea is to conserve the energy to run away from a tiger. I don't need to maintain the body if I'm running away from a tiger because if the tiger catches me, maintaining the body is not an issue at all. Uh, and so basically, I shut off maintenance of the body to get my blood to my arms and legs. But there's also this other system called the immune system. I said, well, that protects me from internal threats. I go, it sure does. And I said, and it uses a lot of energy because if you've ever really been sick, you didn't have energy to get out of bed. So you can see the immune system. I go, so what if the immune system is engaged and the saber-toothed tiger is chasing you? How would you split the energy? And again, just like the gut, 
if the tiger catches me, whatever health problem I got, again, is not my problem anymore either. So the stress hormone shut off the immune system to conserve energy. So I said, wow, what does that mean? I said, well, the two strikes have just been given to you. When you're in stress, you've shut off maintenance of the body and you shut down the immune system. I said, what's the consequence? I say, illness. That's why 90% of illness on this planet is directly due to stress. It interferes with the maintenance of the body and the immune system. And so uh, if you are in a challenging situation and you stay stressed, there's a problem. Because I say, when the stress response was creative, that was when there were saber-toothed tigers. That's when the only thing you really had to worry about was a saber-toothed tiger. I say, so how long did you use a stress response in history? I go, 10 minutes at a time, and then everything went back to normal again, okay? But in today's world, 24-7, 365, stress, then we are continuously curtailing the maintenance of the body and inhibiting the immune system. That is why 90% of illness on this planet, cardiovascular disease, cancer, diabetes, you know, things like that, stress-related, not gene-related. And I go, yeah, because the stress response has been prolonged way beyond what history and evolution meant it to be. And so the first thing you have to recognize is the stress is the moment you get into stress, you lost control of your physiology. And then there's a second or third, the third part, which I actually refer to as adding insult to injury, meaning you just injured yourself by shutting down the maintenance and shutting down the immune system. Now, the insult is this. Forebrain is consciousness. This is where thinking comes in. Hindbrain is reflex. Well, if you're in a fight or flight situation, consciousness is too slow. You don't want to... To, you know, you know, you don't want to pause in any way while thinking. You need to boom. I say, oh, so what happens is the same uh, stress hormones that shut the blood vessels in the gut squeeze the blood vessels shut in the forebrain thinking, which pushes the blood to the hindbrain reaction. So the third consequence of stress is a loss of intelligence because we're not thinking. Now we're just be responding, reacting. And I say, so we're facing all kinds of chaos and crises in this world. You have a choice. You could be put on high alert and be stressed, and you can prolong that stress. And the more you prolong it, the more you are actually opening yourself up for attack or breakdown of the system because you're not maintaining the body. You're shutting off the immune system. Inevitably, that's where the disease comes from, okay? Uh, and so the idea is prolonged stress is the last thing you want to do. And yet, uh, in today's world, at this immediate time when we were doing this filming, coronavirus is a sustained stress that is being passed on every day, every day, every day, with a fear of death, which is, of course, where the stress comes from. It's not the fear of the flu. It's the fear of the death, yeah. <laughs> the stress. Yeah. Uh, and uh, so I say, what? It's prolonged. It's every day. Mm. Hey, what's that? I say, and we're well, literally shutting our immune systems off right when we need them the most. 100% accurate. 100% mm. accurate. So when we face crises, we have to first understand, okay, look at the crisis, recognize it. Don't be stupid. See the crisis. Do whatever you know, natural step is necessary at that moment. But the next thing is to get out of the crisis mode because it's inhibiting your ability to handle the crisis because you're not even thinking now. Uh, and you are 
shutting down your biology. Well, this is not a time to shut down biology. This is a time to let it open up wide and take care of you. So, um, yeah, the, the issue is this. Um, we have to take care of ourselves first. Because if we fall ill to this, then how the hell good are we going to be helping anybody else take care of their lives if we're sick along with them? Uh, and that mainly the sickness is not coming because of the virus in this case, or the cancer gene, which doesn't exist, or the fires, which are causing all the stress. Um, we have to recognize, I see the world, but I don't have to engage in that world that way. And that allows us to make a like a, in the eye of a hurricane, they talk about the eye of the hurricane, it's very calm and all around the winds are crazy, drawing, crazy, you know? Uh, so if you're in the eye of the hurricane, you're calm. Well, all around you, the world is crazy, okay? That is the most powerful position to be in because in a state of calmness, A, you stay healthy, and B, you're more intelligent to deal with the issues than if you just react without thinking. And, and so this is really the relevance of, this is a chaos period. This is a period where the planet has to change the behavior so we can thrive into the future because the behavior we're using right now is destroying things. And the fires are just an example of that. It's apocalyptic. It's interesting because I'm here in New Zealand and uh, when the smoke clouds from the fires in Australia crossed the Tasman, there was a day, it was the middle of the afternoon, it, it, it got so dark that we had to turn the lights on to do anything in the house to see. Uh, and it was so eerie because there was like a reddish tint to everything. And you looked out the window and it's like, apocalypse is on us. <laughs> you know, but that's, yeah, well, that's a scene. Unless we change how we de deal with, with the earth, well, that's a scene that could manifest over again, even like the coronavirus is part of that scene. Mm. So it's time and to imagine if we that. were more intelligent and calm more often, we might actually have different leadership. <laughs> Just well, putting it out there. I, I'm I'm so hopeful of that. Mm. And, and and being a citizen of the US, I look at the leadership that is presently involved with our government and and say, Oh my God, the, the whole thing is stupid and it's breaking down and it's falling apart. And I go, Oh, that's a good thing. It's a good thing because that kind of leadership that we've had is the leadership that is causing the extinction. <laughs> and, and we have to change leadership, ideas, and everything at this time to move into a future safely because the continuation of the way we've been living is causing the problem. So the only way out is to change, and that's why in the midst of all this chaos, as we were just going over then, uh, recovering your consciousness, not losing it in a state of fear, recovering your health by not having stress hormones run in your system, uh, that in the midst of all this, you can be in the hurricane, but in the eye of it, and, and you could be healthy and safe and make smart decisions. And therefore be one of the most helpful people in the situation. Absolutely, because all the other ones are running around like chickens with their heads cut off, and, and it's like, no, stop running. <laughs> yeah. The, Stop running. You know, the fear is worse than your manifestation of the fear. Mm. Such beautiful words. Thank you, Bruce. Such a joy to speak to you. You are just one of someone who emanates joy. <laughs> and I thank you so much for your time uh, today. It's been an absolute pleasure. Alex, thank you. And I really hope that our audience out there gets the, the insight of this uh, a little bit because 
we all deserve the joy and peace of a heaven on earth reality. And, and since we're creators, if we collectively get together, that, that's a reality right in front of us. So uh, I'm looking forward to all the support from all of you out there. Thank you for being here with us. Thank you, Alex, for letting me have this opportunity to talk with them. You're so welcome. Thank you so much for listening to today's show. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I enjoy having these conversations and bringing them to you. Now, where can you find me and Lotox Life from here on in? Well, you've obviously got lotoxlife.com and there we have everything beautifully organized into food, home, body and mind topics as well as kids and a whole bunch of free downloadables and resources to help you, inspire you to take community action Uh, and uh, there's amazing A to Z recipes there if you're ever getting a little bit uh, stale in the kitchen and a whole bunch of articles that I've written over the past nine years of writing a blog. You can also find me on Instagram at Lotox Life and also on Facebook by a page the same name. I make everything super easy, Lotox Life, so you can find it really, really simply. Thank you so much to everybody who leaves a five-star review over on Stitcher or iTunes or wherever it is that you tune into the show. And also to let you know that you can join us on Patreon, P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com forward slash Lotox Life and come join the private Lotox Life Club. In there, over time, more and more cool stuff is about to be added and I can't wait to see where that community takes us. It's a place where we can continue the conversations, chat about the weekly show, you're going to get bonus uh, Q&A and all sorts of things over time. I explain everything over on Patreon, so I encourage you to check that out. And in the meantime, I'll see you next week.